Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulet Matthews & Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to The Empowered Investor. My name is Keith Matthews, and I'm joined by my co-host, Marcelo Tabuada. Marcelo, how are you today? Keith, I'm good. I'm a bit happy that we're starting to get some cold weather. It sounds crazy, but I like it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I even know how to respond to that. A week ago, it was 27 degrees and beautiful, and everybody was out and about, and now it's a hell of a lot colder. I tell you, I secretly love it because you get to stay home and read more. There's less social activities. I love social activities, but... I feel like it's kind of like a breakdown of the seasons. I love that stuff. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Well, Marcelo, in today's episode, we're looking forward to it. It's part two of international investing. Last week, we handled part one, and we're going to do a little bit of a review of that. It's been a few moments, and then we're going to jump into part two. Part two will be based on the idea of, okay, so we've discussed that Canadians should be investing outside of Canada. And the question they'll have is, well, how much in the United States and how much in EFI or Europe, Asia, Far East and emerging markets? And that's the question we're going to discuss today. Valuations and expected returns. But before we get to that part, let's do a very quick review of what we discussed last week around international investing. Do Canadians do enough of it? Right. So the answer is no, but there's a bit of a caveat there. We are getting better. So as we discussed in last episode, we know that Canadians allocate 52% of their stock allocation into Canadian markets. So that's gone down from previous years. So we've seen the trend going downwards, but still we talked in the podcast that Canada still only represents about 3% of the global stock market. So it is a problem when you have more than half of your portfolio in a market that represents 3% for concentration issues and things like that. You know, Canada is almost a regional economy, similar to Australia. It won't be as developed as a US economy or the European market. So it is an issue. All right, fair enough. And we discussed the fact that maybe 20 years ago, Canadians might have held 20% of their investments outside of the country. There were limits as to, and we had to do that. So now we've crept up to 45, 48% of our equity portfolios are in non-Canadian investments. We touched base on a very interesting report from Vanguard that suggested that Canadians should get to what level of their portfolio in non-Canadian assets? 70%. So 70% of stocks should be outside the country was their recommendation. Yes. Okay. Now, they don't go as far as saying you should have X allocation to the US market and international markets and emerging markets, but this is a discussion we're going to have today, right? Because I think a lot of people would say, oh, I'll do 30% in Canada, but I'll just put the rest in the US, right? And then forget about the rest. Well, some people might consider doing that. And the primary reason is people will look back and say, well, what are the returns being like in the last five or 10 years? And this is where things get tricky because most investors tend to look into the rearview mirror look at sort of the last five or 10 year returns and go, wow, look at the US market. Look at the S&P 500. We're talking about high teen returns, whereas EFI and emerging markets will be significantly lower. 
So the tendency is to say, well, let me put my money where I see all these great big historical returns. Well, it doesn't help too that Warren Buffett has said many times that all you need in your portfolio is the S&P 500, right? Until lately. Okay, so that's sort of some of the framing. We've talked about what individuals are doing. We're really going to piggyback off of a report that we picked up from AQR, Cliff Asnes, who's a tremendous investor and also very, very strong in analytics. Mm -hmm. What's the name of the report and what's sort of the concept behind the report? So it's called International Diversification, Still Not Crazy After All These Years. And the premise is that, yes, the U.S. market has outperformed international markets, but it's not going to be the case. And it hasn't been the case in all of the history of like the stock market data that we have. Like There are periods of time where the international markets have outperformed the United States. So even though over long periods of time, it may seem like the U.S. is just outperforming everything. It's not the case all the time. And there's an interplay between valuations and how much people are paying for an extra level of growth or an extra level of earnings when you look at the indices or how you measure different stock markets. You're absolutely right. It's an interesting report. It gets a little technical. We're going to try to make it really straightforward. The premise, of course, is that if you go back and look at stock returns over the last 120 years, the U.S. market of all of the markets in the world has produced the highest return. And in particular, in this case, when you're looking at international investing as a Canadian, the best data really starts around 1970 when the EFI index was created and tracked. They allude to this idea that, in fact, from 1990 is when the actual AQR report starts their analysis. From 1990 till today... U.S. stocks have outperformed by about 4.5% over international stocks now from an American perspective. But what the research highlights is that that return doesn't just come because the companies are more profitable. It came because valuations changed dramatically. So go back in 1990, valuations of U.S. stocks versus international stocks the U.S. stocks were 50% valued relative to international stocks. So they were cheaper. Cheaper. And when we talk cheaper, that means price earnings, multiples were half of what EFI was. Price to book was half. Fast forward to today, that valuation is very different because the U.S. companies are now one and a half times more expensive than international companies. And if you take away that valuation expansion, you're left with the U.S. market doing better than international stocks, not by 4.6% annualized, but by 1% or 1.5%, which is very different. And the report concludes by being very careful if you're investing on a go-forward basis, because you cannot expect that same level of superior performance unless you think that valuations are going to go even more excessive than where they are right now. And by a long shot, which most people go, that is just practically impossible to do. I mean, things tend to go through some stocks and different areas may go through some periods of euphoria. But I think over long periods of time, like valuations do matter and how much people are paying for things matters. And if you're coming in at higher valuations, it's just normal that the expected return will be lower. Yeah. So for today's show, you looked at PEs. We'll start with PEs, nice and simple price earning. You looked at multiples in different regions. What are today's PEs looking like, generally speaking? 
Right, Keith. So before we dive into the price-to-earnings ratios of the indices that we're discussing today, I know this could be a bit of an abstract thing for people, so let me just define what it is. So the P-E ratio is a simple but popular metric used by investors and institutions to determine the relative value of a company's stock. So in this definition, price means the current price per share of a stock, so $10, $20, and earnings means company's profit per share over a specific period of time. So in other words, a company's price-to-earnings ratio is how much investors pay per dollar of annual company earnings. So if a company's P ratio is 10, that means its share costs 10 times the profit it makes on a per share basis in a year. So just in the same way that you can calculate a P ratio of a stock, you can calculate the P ratio of the S&P 500 or the S&P TSX Composite or the MSCI IFI. So if we look at the S&P 500, it's 23 right now. If you look at the MSCI EFI, which tracks the international markets, excluding emerging markets, it's about 14. MSCI emerging markets is 14, so very similar. I mean, there's decimal points there, but we're not going into that. And the Canadian market is about 16. So again, one of the big premises, and we've spoken about our investment approach many times, is we are not trying to do any market timing and shift assets around based on valuations. We have very globally diversified portfolios. We recommend that to all investors, Canadian stocks, U.S. stocks, international and emerging market stocks. So in this entire discussion, it is important that we mention we're not in any of this valuation discussion suggesting that individuals leave a region entirely in a portfolio. But it is good to look at this stuff to have indications because history does repeat itself. So what you're saying now is U.S. stocks are more expensive than the other stocks. And in particular, we're talking U.S. versus non-U.S., but still international. So Europe, Far East, and emerging markets. Yeah, I mean, it's just what I was saying in terms of valuation. You're paying $23 per every level of earnings in the United States and in international markets, you're paying 14 Yeah. And the AQR report is very clear to say that there's probably sunnier times ahead for the returns of international securities. So if we look at the last five years now, I knew this information going back into the 80s and 90s. I was doing my MBA in 1991. And I remember looking in one of my finance courses, sort of how things had done. And for those listeners that do remember the 80s and 90s, this is when European and Japanese companies were doing extremely well with with regards to returns. Marcelo, believe it or not, there was a period of time when most companies would say America or North America is doomed. Everybody should adopt the Japanese method of managing companies. Crazy. They used to ship executives all over the world into Japan because everybody thought that Japan had the secret formula in terms of creating wealth. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at some point, the Tokyo real estate market was worth more than the entire U.S. stock market. You had the Nikkei floating around the same level where it is today in 1990. But that said, this is part of this whole valuation and this topsy-turvy. So when we look at five decades worth of data, we find very distinct stories here. How many times do you think the U.S. beat EFI in those five decades? How many decades? Well, if I had to guess, I would say since 1970s till today, so 50 years, I would say two. Which two? The tech boom. 
yeah. from 90 to 2000, and then 2010 to 2020. You're 100% correct. So the U.S. market outperformed in the 90s and in the last 12 to 13 years. The international and emerging market markets outperformed in the other three decades. And depending on which decade you look, if you look at the end of the decade, you see very different valuation stories. Back to this whole Japan and Europe valuations in the late 80s, things were so expensive. And then they subsequently had lower returns. The U.S. market was cheaper, and it subsequently had higher returns. Fast forward to today, what the AQR report and what a lot of individuals are talking about is U.S. markets have higher valuations and the international securities have lower valuations, hence probably better future expected returns. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to deal with this concept of PEs and how much are you paying for stuff because you could easily say, okay, based on valuations, I'm not going to invest in the U.S. market. But that's how markets work. And sometimes people will bid the prices up. And with diversification, you also want to be there for when those things happen, right? Like you don't want to time things based on valuations, but if you have a diversified portfolio, you still want to be able to profit from those times where people are bidding prices up, right? And look, we've been holding diversified portfolios for close to 25 years in similar allocations. Think of it a third in Canada, a third in the US, and a third outside of North America. And we're not suggesting that anybody tinkers around with that. In fact, even within your valuations of the U.S. market, you have different components within the U.S. market with very different valuations. So the S&P 500 is driven a lot by the top 100 companies, in fact, a lot by the top 20 companies. Well, there's the magnificent 7, 8 right now in the S&P 500, which are absolutely dominating the index. Yep. But even within the U.S. economy, you've got small value companies, which there's a lot of individuals saying that they're effectively pricing in a recession and they're lower than their valuations have ever been. So therefore, their future returns could be higher. And so when we look at these future returns, it does kind of matter as to where prices currently are. And we've referred to a Vanguard report quite a bit with clients in the last six months that speaks about expected returns in general global regions. Do you want to just highlight what those sort of expect, just the hires and the lower numbers. Basically, they say that whatever's done really well in the past year or two, you know, or decade, yeah, past, yeah. it has lower expected returns. So when you look at growth stocks, for example, or small cap growth stocks, they tend to be lower expected returns going forward. Same thing with the US market. So what they identify as the ones having the highest expected returns are emerging markets when it comes to regions. And when it comes to asset classes, they're looking at small cap value as the one with the highest expected return because they've had lower returns in the last 10 years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, you know, the Vanguard report will speak about expected returns. Canada is expected to have better returns. So all regions with lower prices, lower valuations are expected to have better returns in the next decade or two. Canada, international, emerging market, the U.S. is expected to have lower returns than some of these regions. But within the United States, there's two different areas. There's value securities and growth companies, and Vanguard suggests that growth companies have the lower return and value. And so, again, we're not in any way suggesting that individuals start changing portfolios dramatically. I think the number one thing we are suggesting to listeners is if they don't have international equities, non-Canadian, non-US equities in their portfolio, 
they should take a hard look at that and really introduce them and make sure they have reasonable weightings to those securities in a diversified fashion. And honestly, there's really no excuse now. I mean, if you talk to me 30 years ago, the accessibility to this type of funds that were like either very expensive or very hard to get, now you can buy an ETF that gives you access for this for like 10, 20 basis points, which it's super good. You know, you can get a fully diversified portfolio, you know, through Tangerine or a robo-advisor that has international stock. So there's really no excuse for Canadians not to be doing this. 100%. We're starting to get in the wrap-up here, Marcel, but before we get to the wrap-up, I want to ask you a question because it is spoken about in the AQR report. It's this idea that sometimes investors might say, why should I invest in a diversified international or non-local securities when markets crash or correct in these big moments, 2020, 2008, 2001, it seems like no matter what you own, all goes down about the same. So there's no benefit to this international diversification. Hence, why should I do it? Right. And that's true in the short term. I mean, the world is connected now. It's globalization. Everything is interconnected. So it's like they say, you know, the US sneezes and the world catches a cold. So it's sort of like along those lines. Every time something happens in Europe or in other parts of the world that affects everybody, think about the pandemic. The pandemic has affected every single country. You have hugely connected countries through globalization. It's normal that this happens, but this is not the case over the long periods of time. So when you start looking at data from like crashes over like one, two years, yes, they may be very similarly going down at the same time. But once you start looking at data from 5, 10, 15, 20 years, the picture starts changing. And that's the main point that yes, it will crash all at the same time. Absolutely. The data shows that, but it's not going to be the case long term. You're right. And the AQR report has a very, very good section, which essentially says, expect them all to go down in similar fashions with these moments. However, the international diversification does work and is beneficial to all investors because primarily it reduces the risk. There's one very big risk that you don't get stuck if you're only in your local region in a lost decade. Because that lost decade will be incredibly painful and you will not get the returns you deserve if you're stuck in concentrated positions with no proper diversification. So that's where the benefit is. It's a five and 10 year benefit and longer. And you look at countries in the international markets, in the emerging markets, they're developing, they're booming. Some countries like Nigeria, you know, they're booming in terms of population and their economy is growing. So as an investor, you don't want to miss on that. You don't want to bet on one single country. Like, I mean, we don't advocate for that. But you want to have access to all of this growth that's available for people. Yeah, you want access to Europe. You want access to Asia. You want access to emerging markets. So, Marcel, this has been a great part two. I think we've covered off what we wanted to do here. And in particular, make sure that our listeners hear us say that it's not just the U.S. market. You need to be balanced between the U.S. and international securities for Canadians. What's our takeaways here? Well, my takeaway is what I said before in the last podcast. It's like a balanced diet. Like you're going to hate it sometimes, but it works. And long-term, it is the best approach because you're going to go through periods where people are going to say, you know what, there's areas of my portfolio that are not working. Why do I have that? Why do I even bother? But history shows that when that happens, the expected return of those things that people are talking about and complaining tends to be higher going forward just because of valuation, reversion to the mean, that tends to happen constantly. So 
It's painful, but sometimes you have to eat the spinach to lose the weight, right? <laughs> oh, good analogy. So that's a great takeaway. I would simply add, and you alluded to it a little bit five minutes ago, today more than ever before, Canadians have access to investment strategies and solutions, whether they're low-cost exchange-traded funds, or I know that we're using dimensional fund advisor strategies to capture that international equity weighting for our clients. But everybody's got access and everybody can use it. And we're talking about 20 basis points for international investing. And this is unheard of. You couldn't do that 20 years ago. And it's a great time because valuations are attractive. So make sure that your portfolio has Canadian securities, U.S. securities, EFI, Europe Far East, and emerging markets in a well-diversified portfolio. Marcelo, thank you so much for part two of international investing. I think we covered a lot. And to our listeners, I hope you're doing well. And we look forward to hearing from you and see you next time. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor Podcast, hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.